0: We call it life-shaking stories. We're looking at the lives of men and women whose stories help to inspire faith. And if you remember, the line over our whole seminar track is, Stories of faith inspire faith. And uh, on the first day, I was pointing out that being a Christian is not easy. It's a challenge. We were just hearing, you know, Jesus said, take up your cross, follow me. And uh, it's, not, it's not an easy life. And I think particularly in your teen years, it can be a, a challenging time to be a Christian. And you need good sources of encouragement and fuel for your faith. And I've often found that the lives of men and women who have gone before us uh, is a helpful source of encouragement and inspiration. We've been recommending some books throughout. I'm just going to recommend a couple here, one by someone um, who I know called Terry Virgo, in fact, uh, called God's Lavish Grace. Uh, Dad's testimony, as we'll hear in a moment, was uh, not that he always found Christian living Uh, to be a joy from the beginning. He found it kind of like often feeling condemned and guilty and not like he was doing well enough until he began to discover what it is to live under an awareness of God's favor and undeserved love. It's just there for us. as a permanent daily reality. And really his life was changed when he began to discover the grace of God. And this book helps to explain that and countless people really Uh, have read this and been helped by it. He's received so many letters from people saying, my life was changed reading that book. It really is a fantastic book to get, get, um, get a hold of and read and digest and maybe read a few times, just getting to grips with the reality of the gospel and the incredibly good news that our sins really are taken away, that God really does make us righteous. He really does favor and love us. Uh, it's a great little book, so that would be an encouragement to you. Also, a book which I couldn't actually find in a bookshop, but I'm sure you'll get on Amazon, uh, called No Well-Worn Paths, which uh, Dad wrote, which tells his story in fuller detail than we'll have the chance to tell today. So that's a great book. Probably, of Dad's books, that's the one I enjoyed the most. Um, and it's a, it's a really uh, excellent and exciting story of the way that God led him over decades, as we'll be hearing a little of today. Uh, another one just to quickly recommend, This book is slightly different. It's not a story book. I've been tending to point to books that tell a story. This is by a guy called John Piper, and it's simply called When I Don't Desire God. And he's talking about the fact that he believes that we get more joy following God than we would anywhere else. But the reality is sometimes our souls are a little slow to wake up to the goodness of God. What do you do when you don't feel like praying? What do you do when you don't feel the nearness of God? What do you do when you don't feel like you desire God? And this book is so helpful on how to launch into a more militant, aggressive kind of Uh, pushing into the goodness of God, if you like, learning habits that will stand you in good stead. I found it very practically helpful in how to live the Christian life and not settle at, oh, well, it's just tough and i just got to get used to it, but recognizing, no, there's good stuff available to us, but we need to learn how to lay hold of the promises of God. That's a fabulous book. And the last one I recommend today, uh, some of you will have heard this guy at previous New Days, Daryl Tunningly, Tunningly, rather, If you didn't hear his story, it is the most remarkable story of a guy who was a full-blown gangster, drug dealer, crazy maniac who came to God in a just incredible turnaround. It's a nice short book. I think it's under 100 pages long. Yeah, it is. And it's just an incredible story of how God turned his life around. It's just gripping, fascinating, incredible, incredible story. You'll read it probably in an afternoon, get sucked into it, not want to put it down, and then you'll give it to someone else. Absolutely brilliant book, so make sure that you snap that one up. Okay, Um, without further ado, I'm just going to pray, and then we'll get cracking. Father, we just thank you so much for your hand on our lives. We thank you so much for your goodness to us. And we just commit this next hour or so to you. We just pray that you would lead and guide and help us. We welcome you here, Holy Spirit. We really love you. We love to be your children. We love to know your favor. We love to know your friendship. We love the fact that you never, ever lie, that we can trust you. We just love you, Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you'd be near to us now and that you would help us to discover fresh things about you and how kind you are to normal people. Thank you, choose the weak people. And, uh, Lord, we just bless you. We pray that you would lead this time and that it would really bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I was thinking what I'd do with this seminar track and I knew from the beginning I wanted to look at lives of faith, stories of faith that inspire faith... I did think of Dad quite quickly as an example of someone whose faith has inspired me. I fairly often, although it hasn't happened for a while, I get asked, oh, has it been hard being Terry Virgo's son? Because um, uh, Dad's had, within our family of churches, New Frontiers, which New Day was a part of, Dad was kind of leading the movement and everything, and people knew who he was. And, and so people say, "Oh, I must have been quite pressured to be his son, it must be quite a difficult thing. And I honestly felt, actually, that it's been a, an immense privilege to be the son of a man whom I love, and uh, I, honestly, I don't think there's anyone in the world I respect more than my dad. I love him with all my heart. And uh, to be able to hear him praying every morning as I woke up and to find him reading his Bible more times than I can remember and to see the integrity of his life has just been an honor and an incredible privilege and joy for me. Um, so when people have said it must be really hard, I'm sort of like, well, not really. Um, <laughs> you know, there are challenges, of course, but it's actually there are real joys. And uh, so yeah, having said all of that, um, you you have five children, you have five children in law, you have 20 grandchildren, um, which of them is your favourite? <laughs> Patch the dog. <laughs> we don't even have a dog, how insulting is that? Right, okay, so we'll move on to the stuff that's slightly more important. So How old were you when you became a Christian, and how did that happen? I was 16 um, when my sister, who had
1: left Brighton, where I was raised, uh, to live in London, came home one weekend on a Saturday night and said, can I speak to you? I'd come home quite late, as I often did on a Saturday night, and uh, I said, yeah. She said, I've become a Christian. And I, I thought, well, I mean, how would you become a Christian? You know, we're, we're English, we're Christian, aren't we? And, uh, and then she said, I've been born again. I thought, what on earth is born again? Uh, my parents were not Christian. Uh, I'd never seen a Bible in my home. They didn't go to church. Um, so this was pretty revolutionary. And uh, she she began to tell me what had happened to her. And, you know, it wasn't a stranger knocking the door. It was my sister. I could see she was... Uh, quite radically affected and I argued with her and then uh, at one point she said do you believe Jesus rose from the dead and I said very casually he's supposed to have been raised on the third day isn't he and she said so he's alive then and uh, I suddenly knew he was alive uh, even as we were talking and uh, I I just began to turn around and uh, by the end of that evening I knelt and because she said I, I know I'm going to live forever I know all my sins are forgiven I know God and I said why hasn't anybody told me this before and I knelt and I asked Christ into my life that's how it all got started for me
0: so that's an interesting phrase you ask God into your heart into your life did that mean everything changed straight away did your, all your daily habits change, all your lifestyle change
1: no, it didn't really at all. Uh, I, I knew it was genuine. I, I, I felt it happen. I felt something happen. And to my amazement, as a 16-year-old guy, I started crying, which was a big surprise to me. Uh, I knew something had happened. And, uh, and yet, I, I even had my old diary of that year, still have old diaries. And it doesn't even register. I haven't even put in it. Uh, so I had a very full life. I had a crowd of friends. I loved... Uh, Brighton nightlife. Uh, it's a very lively town and uh, I was part of that culture. And so for me, I didn't hear uh, follow me. I didn't hear leave your nets like Simon Peter, you know, come and follow, come out from where you are. Uh, I asked Jesus into my heart and I stayed virtually where I was. So to be honest, for about five years, I lived a very double life. So, I carried on with my old lifestyle, which was by no means Christian, but I started going to church on Sunday mornings, and uh, my prayers were usually, sorry about that, sorry about that, please forgive me for that. I never doubted I was a Christian, but I wasn't living a Christian life until one Sunday morning, I was just at the Baptist church I'd started going to, and uh, just one sermon, and it was a verse in Galatians which I now realize was kind of taken out of context, but nevertheless was very powerful. And uh, it says, you did run well. Who has hindered you that you no longer obey the truth? And uh, I knew I meant it when I started. I I was very excited uh, when I heard my sister was going to John Stott's church in London at the time. I went up to be there once. Sunday, at what they call a guest service, I went forward when he made the invitation. I shook John Stott's hand. I was pretty excited about this new life I was in. Who's John Stott? John Stott was probably the most famous Bible teacher in England at that time, and led a big church of England, just opposite the BBC, called All Souls Langham Place. Still is a huge church, but he was the one who built it to be huge, uh, and has written so many books. You'll find books in the bookshop. By John Stock. Anyway, that's how it got started and uh, I got baptized when I was 18. I, I kind of meant it but I, I drifted pretty badly and on that Sunday morning, I think when you feel the Holy Spirit coming to you powerfully, it, it's, it's overwhelming really. I felt like I'm the only person in the place and this used to be about 800 in this Baptist church in Brighton. It was a very good Baptist church and uh, I, I was undone. I felt God said, I want your life and I want it now. And it came to me like this, it's now or never. And I think for the first time, I kind of had the fear of God because I'd messed around several times and said, sorry, 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 sorry. And it, and it was almost like, I want your life and it's now or it's never. And I, I, I really, I went home I got before God, and as far as I knew how, I gave everything over to Him, and uh, my life radically changed. I I lost all my friends, Um, my whole, it's like I died, the old Terry Virgo died, Uh, the way I spent my life completely changed, Uh, so I used to commute to London to work, I lived in Brighton, but worked in London, I used to get the train every day, and... uh, I would spend my hour on the train playing cards, and so I would gamble in the morning and gamble in the evening, and I hoped that no one from church would be there, and I I used to keep a note of my winnings, and I reckon I paid for my season ticket. Uh, I played solo in the morning and three-card brag in the evening, and I used to do well, Uh, and I realized, hey, look, this whole lifestyle, which was a total mess, I need to get right out of it. And uh, I started, I, I moved back down the train, because the train, the Brighton train, the front, the front compartment was different to any other train you've ever been in. It was like a party every, every day. And if you didn't know people, it was like, what are you doing in our carriage, you know? And uh, I used to sometimes get on quite late, and there'd be a big cheer, right, hey, Terry made it. And uh, uh, it was a real friendly world of sinners together. And I was part of it, and uh, hiding my light very much. And then when this happened, I just moved back down the train and started devouring Christian books, actually. Uh, The first one was the one called Jungle Pilot, which was the story of a young man, a little older than I, who had recently flown a group of missionaries into South America where all five of them were martyred. But it was telling his story. And I was captivated by this book. And an old lady in the church must have seen me kind of come alive and said, have you read this? And I said, no, thank you. And I I was captivated by it. When I gave it back, she said, have you read this one? And she she kept on feeding me mostly biographies of people uh, until it came to George Mueller that we were hearing about in here yesterday. I mean, these lives inspired me, had a big impact on me. So I just kept on reading. And that's one of the biggest things that impacted my my lifestyle change you got through about 53 of
0: those books in a year or something didn't you yeah I I did yeah (laughs) I always found that that in itself impacted me enormously that in one year devouring all of these books about what God can do through men and women who trust him it made an impact on on dad's life and what he thought okay well what should I expect when you turn your back on a party scene you need to get a hold of something that's worth getting hold of and if it's just sitting in the back row of church, you know, trying not to get told off for talking to your mates, that's not going to cut it. You, want, you need a new adventure. And that's not why we follow Jesus, but it's one of the great bonuses. And uh, I think finding fuel for faith in these stories had a huge impact on what Dad came to expect his life might amount to. That's partly why we've been recommending these books and pointing you to these figures. So, yeah. So then there came a point when you you'd been working in London, you've been following Jesus more in a more genuine and disciplined and uh, intentional way, and then you felt God began to challenge you to take quite a radical step. Uh, Could you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, I think I was very affected by these people who were mostly missionaries, people like Hudson Taylor and C.T. Studd, and these guys have gone and made a huge impact, and Started great movements like the China Inland Mission or the World Evangelization Crusade. You know, these guys did phenomenal things. And uh, I, I found that church going in those days was very formal. And uh, I know none of you were even alive, uh, but church going, it was, it was a good pastor, a terrific preacher, but the meetings were very dull. And uh, you had to wear a suit. And I it, it used to say on the wall as you walked into the church, do not speak in the sanctuary. So once you got through the door, you were given a hymn book, and a friend of mine said, you, you caught religious throat immediately as you took the hymn book and said, thank you very much, and you slipped in and sat there and didn't speak to anybody, and then you sang a hymn, and then they did a prayer, then you sang a hymn, then they did the notices, then they sang a hymn, and then the guy preached, and he was a good preacher, then you sang a hymn, then you went home. And uh, you didn't speak to anybody. And I'm desperately wanting to know, how do you live this Christian life? And in the in the New Testament, there are over 40 one another verses. Like, pray for one another, encourage one another, confess your faults to one another, admonish one another. I mean, over 40 of them, and we were doing none of them. None of them. So we were trying to be Christians on our own, really, just hear the preacher every Sunday But there was nothing corporate. There were no house fellowships. It was very, very formal and very, very lonely. So for me to have lost all my friends where we would talk into the middle of the night about anything, uh, just very, very close friends. You know, we shared our drinks, we shared our cigarettes, we shared our dirty stories, we shared our lives until late at night. Now I go to church, I've lost everybody, and... And I'm allowed to hear him and go home and come and hear him again next week. And uh, so it was desperate. I mean, it was like dying. It really was. If you've just heard Joel, it was like that. I, it was like my whole life just went down the pan. And then I met a guy who was living by faith as a missionary in Brighton. And what I does thought, living by faith mean in this he was He was like these missionaries in these books, like Hudson Taylor... When he went to China, he he felt the mission that he was involved with was very formal. It was staying on the on the coastal cities. It wasn't going into China. They were almost imposing an English lifestyle on the Chinese. They, he said, "This isn't authentic. This isn't this isn't really getting among the Chinese." It's like a. It's saying, come and be British, come and be Christian, and live on these coastal big cities like Shanghai. And you can see, I've been to Shanghai, and you can see posters where terrible things English people put up. Like Chinese are not allowed here. Chinese and dogs are not allowed in this part. I mean, it's horrendous. And a mission was being done on the back of this arrogant 19th century Englishness. And, and Hudson Taylor wasn't like that. He wanted to get among the people. He wanted to go inland. He changed his way, the way he dressed. He started changing into uh, Chinese clothing, the way they shaved their heads and had a pigtail at the back in those days. He said, I'm going to do that as well. And he, the other missionaries thought he's gone crazy. And he had no missionary society to stand behind him. So he started something, and it always excites me that when he was just about 30, he was on Brighton, Brighton, yeah, Brighton seafront, and he had a battle in his heart. Could he start a missionary society? Could he go into China? And he was in a meeting, I don't know where it was, a church meeting. He said, I cannot bear being in this church meeting where hundreds of people are worshipping, and think of the millions in China without Christ. I can't bear it. So he left the meeting and he walked up and down Brighton Beach. And he, and he, he, he had a, a meeting with God. And he said, right, tomorrow I will, I will... And he went to London the next day. And he opened a bank account, a China inland mission. And he put like five pounds in it or something. And he believed God that God would give him 20 missionaries who would go into inland China. And his story, if you've never read the story of Hudson Taylor is absolutely captivating, and he always said, like George Mueller, he said, we pray God will supply, God will supply, and he started that missionary society, and so he lived what was called live by faith, he lived by saying, well, no one's promised to supply, but we'll pray to God, just like George Mueller did, we heard about in here yesterday morning, and in fact, George Mueller used to send money to Hudson Taylor uh, and help him, but uh, it was a faith venture, Then I met this guy in Brighton, and he was living like that in my hometown, going from door to door. What do you mean, going from door to door? Going from house to house, knocking doors, and talking about Jesus. So he was an evangelist working out of an organization called Turn to Christ, but he had to supply his own. And so he just prayed that God would meet his needs, supply his money. had no guarantee from anybody. He was living like that. And then he started a little prayer meeting in his home. And he said, if you'd like to come, I'm going to start a little Bible study. And he said, would you like to come? And I said, yeah, I want to learn. I want to know. And I want some friendship. And he said, let's study the book of Acts. But he said, listen, let's read it so we believe every promise and obey every command. That's the way we do it. We're not just reading the Bible to take notes, but every promise we will believe and every command we'll do. So I naively said, yeah, sounds good. And uh, so after a few weeks, he said, well, come on then, let's go. We're going to go from house to house and speak. I thought, oh, I've never done that before. And then he began to talk about being filled with the Spirit. I've never heard about that before. And in uh, in a a few months, each of those people who came to that little group got filled with the Holy Spirit and we started going out preaching the gospel. So he, he had a huge impact on me. And after a while, I was see, seeing him as often as I could, doing evangelism with him and praying with him as often as I could. And, and, and I'm talking about 1962, all right? long time ago. And, uh, and that was before the charismatic movement had started, all right? There was no charismatic movement. So, what people used to pray for was revival. Revival, if you've read about revival, where God comes in incredible power, like He did in the days of Wesley or the Welsh revival, or you can read about revivals when suddenly God's power comes in a place. And in those days, we were praying for revival, asking God, please come in a sovereign way to England. Come and do something amazing like you've done in the past, like you did in Wesley's day. And people started growing number of prayer meetings for revival. And then suddenly, I got filled with the Spirit. I heard this one, got filled with the Spirit. You began to hear that people like, I was a Baptist, if you like, I've suddenly filled with the Spirit. and and gifts of the spirit, speaking in tongues, prophesying. Whoa. It's like something completely new. And then you say it's happened to there, it's happened over there, it's happened over there. Is this the beginning of revival? That's what we've thought. We thought this could be the beginning of revival. The great Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones, who was again a great preacher in London, uh, he said revival is when many people are filled with the Holy Spirit. So we thought, hey, is this the beginning? Is it beginning of revival? So the sense of anticipation was very great. And then I went, to a, I went to a meeting, and there were two prophecies. I went to a Pentecostal church in Brighton. I just stole away, just to be in a context where spiritual gifts happened. And there were two prophecies. And one of them said, I'm looking for those who will give themselves to prayer, give time to prayer. And I felt, that's what I want to do. But I leave home at 7 a.m., I go to London, I work... I come home at 7 p.m. I I can only just, I haven't got much time. And a Jehovah's Witness knocked my door about my age. And I said to him, how do you live? And he said, I do window cleaning in the morning and I go from house to house in the afternoon. And I thought, you do that for your message? And I, I felt provoked. And I heard this prophecy and I thought, but how can I live if I do that? If I, if I, and then it was the second prophecy and it said those who trust me I will take responsibility for and I gave my notice at work the next day I just, I just left work and uh, I worked out my month of notice and then I joined Phil How did your parents feel about you doing that? Uh, my parents were horrified uh, my parents had lived through yeah, the second world war, they'd lived through the depression before the war uh, they were thrilled that i 'd got a good job in London, a secure job uh, well placed so they couldn 't believe that i 'd give it all up and just go from house to house. Uh, they were horrified um, before that had happened. I was praying one evening, and my dad knocked my door and said, "Come on, you must stop taking this religious so seriously you 're losing all your friends um, and, and so they never understood what was happening. Praise God later on. Uh, Some years later, they got saved. Uh, But at first, they were horrified when I did it.
0: So it's pretty costly. And found that, yeah, the challenge, okay, God will say, and give up your job. So for a couple of years, you didn't have any actual means of income at all. Uh, So how did you make ends meet during those two years?
1: Well, it was very much modeled on the sort of thing we were hearing about here. The George Mueller story, the Hudson Taylor story, C.T. Studd. C.T. Studd, again, you can read about. He was an English cricketer. He
0: he was... like the David Beckham of his day. Yeah, absolutely. Totally Totally famous. Very, very
1: very high-profile sportsman, kind of idolised by the nation, a very rich man. And he got converted when a guy called D.L. Moody was a great evangelist, came to London. He got saved. He gave away... His incredible inheritance just gave it away and uh and he went to China became part of that uh, he, he 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 just gave it all up and I, so I read these books I mean just inspired me I thought well I'm going to trust God and I thought God called me through these two words so I felt called I thought God's called me he wants me he wants my life and uh so I I just obeyed as far as I was concerned some people say to me you must have great faith and I said I don't feel I've got great faith. I feel I'm doing what I, to- I was told. And if God told me to do it, it's his responsibility. I mean, I d- honestly felt that. So I, I gave up my job in 1963. And uh, I, I just went from house to house on a housing estate at the back of Brighton. Uh, I, I used to uh, buy a newspaper called Challenge Newspaper, which looked a bit like the Daily Mirror, but it was full of Christian testimonies. came out once a month. I went from door to door. I talked to people, gave them the newspaper, and I developed a kind of circle of people I could speak to every month, give them these testimonies. Uh, And then, you know, there was quite a bit of resistance because the Mormons had already been to this area. They had a building on that estate. And the Jehovah's Witnesses had already been there. So, you know, by the time you come, it's like... You know, the door gets closed pretty quickly, which wasn't much fun. Um, and 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 then in the in the summer, uh, my friend, who was we were working together for about six months, and then he moved off. Um, he said, "Let's do a kids club." We didn't call it kids club in those days, but in the middle of the in the middle of this housing estate, there's a kind of a green area, and we advertised a, a holiday club for children. And about 120 kids came for a whole week. And the weather was good right through, praise God. And we did the sort of stuff we do maybe for kids here, you know, with stories and, and games. And then we'd preach the gospel to them. And their parents would stand around the edge and watch this. And, and that really turned hearts. Because then when you started knocking the door, oh, you're those young guys who ran that club. And, and it kind of opened things up. So we began We started a Sunday school, we started a monthly family service, so things, we were beginning to start a church uh, on that housing estate, and uh, all the time, after a while, I felt, I don't, I lived in Hove, and used to go on my motorbike across to this estate, which was like seven miles away, and I thought, I need to live here, I need to move in, and I noticed one of the doors I went to had a thing on the window, room for let so I, I, I said, can I, can I hire your room? And they were not Christians. They said, yeah, this is the rent. You can do it. So I, I, I moved up there. And then Phil, my friend, was invited to become the director of British Youth for Christ. So he left me and went and joined British Youth for Christ. So I was on my own then. So I, I just went every day from house to house, and I prayed. And I realized I didn't know any theology. So I bought myself a, a systematic theology and I would just get notebooks and start trying to learn what I believed. And so I'd do some of that on my own. I'd go door to door on my own. I'd get some of the young people from the Baptist church I used to belong to to help run the Sunday school. And uh, that's, what, that's what I did for a couple of years.
0: So how did you make ends
1: meet during that time? Well, yeah, no, you prayed, you prayed and... Um, at the beginning, I had, I had some savings. I'd, I'd worked uh, for about four or five years before I left work. Before, you know, After school, I left for, worked for about five years, and I'd saved some. So I was living on my savings for a bit. And then I, I felt, I'll probably do what the Jehovah's Witness did. But then I felt God challenged me and said, now, come on, I want you to trust me. So I gave my savings away and started trusting God. Absolutely. And so I just say, Lord, please provide. And, I mean, it was scary sometimes. But, it, I mean, I, I remember one time when, um, you know, I just think, Lord, <laughs> Christmas is coming. It's weird. Eh? Christmas is coming. I'm, I, my money is going down, 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 down. Um, I haven't got any money. And my parents are not Christian. So, you know, do I go home for Christmas and take presents from my parents, my sister, my brother, say thank you very much but, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian worker I don't have any money, I haven't got anything for you I thought, that's terrible, I can't do that um, what do I do? and uh, it's interesting I was, I was praying and I'm looking to God every day in the Bible and I think, Lord, I need something I need some encouragement I need some encouragement and uh, and I knew my neck I turned the page right the Lord speaks to me this morning and I, I turned the page to my next reading and it's Titus chapter one i think titus it's all about the appointment of deacons and elders i mean this i'm not getting any encouragement from titus terrible book you know and i i start reading it Look out for the bolt of lightning <laughs> and uh, the opening verse says the god for greetings from the god who cannot lie it's just that phrase honestly it was just that phrase god cannot lie And that was it. I knew I was okay. I just knew God would provide. And I just began to pray, Lord, please just provide this now. And I went from scared to very confident because I got a fresh glimpse of God. I mean, that's lived with me now for decades, you know, through churches and movements and international. God taught me that in my early 20s on my own in a room in the back of Brighton when I've got no money. And God said to me, I I can't lie. I don't know how to lie. (laughs) And so he promised he'd look after me. And and I actually said, Lord, I felt God said, ask me specifically. I thought, what do I ask for? And it's a strange thing. I felt God said to me, ask me for the number of verses that are in a certain psalm. I can't remember which psalm it was. Uh, I wish it was 119, but it wasn't. Um, The number of verses in this psalm, asked me for that number of pounds. And I see, for me, when I read George Mueller, which I read a lot, and as we heard yesterday, he would say, got a gift of five pounds. Well, five pounds today, you know, buys you a beer or something. It, th- in those days, that would see me through another week. Five pounds was a big gift. That was, that was, and all I needed was to pay my rent, to buy challenge newspaper, to hire a, a room in the school, and to get petrol for my motorbike. I mean, I didn't have any other. That was my cost. So I just needed that. I just pray for that all the time. And um, I just needed that. And then I, I, I looked up how many verses in this psalm, which was impressed on me. I can't remember which psalm it was. But I turned it up. into a good one. It was quite a nice little one. And I said, look, give me that number of pounds, please. And within about a week, from three different sources, exactly that amount of money came in exactly I, I can't remember what it was like 70 or 80 quid and I thought wow it, it's like God you're here because it was precisely what I asked for and it came from three to, And people would send letters occasionally my old pastor would warn me what are you doing this is so radical if you want to become a pastor you should show go to Bible college and he'd tell me off and then he'd shake my hand at the end this was before we started hugging people he'd shake my hand at the end and I'd take my hand away and there's five pounds in my hand. He said, you shouldn't be doing this. God bless you. And I thought, oh, thank you, Pastor. And, you know, little bits would come in. I'd get a letter through the post. No, I'd know what, no one promised me they would regularly. I had no one who regularly promised. And I never issued a prayer letter. I never said, you know, don't forget. I'm here and I'm needy. Honestly, I can honestly say I never did it. But for two years, it was always there. Always there. There were scary moments. I had to really cry to God, but it just—it just was there. Two years, just God, just provided all the time, and uh, it was just wonderful. To be honest, It, it laid a foundation of faith in my life, which I guess has been there now, when we see all that God has done over the decades. But it was while I was still very young, very shut in with God, and to be honest, still quite lonely in those days because I'd lost all my mates and hadn't really got a lot of friends in the church was still very formal um, church life wasn't I look around at this terrific camp and I see your friendship I see the, re- the relaxed worship you know we're used to it now for decades but at the beginning huge battles to fight to break the church open stop it being weird stop it being so formal you didn't dare speak to anybody you know tiptoe in the building and and all kinds of foolishness uh, which was regarded as orthodox and we were regarded as crazy radicals because we started changing everything we started changing the worship we began to lay hands on people to receive the spirit we began i mean what are you doing and and when tongues first came people were saying oh it's just cursing in another language and we had books written against us i mean it was very radical what we were doing which we now all take for granted. But, uh, you know, I had to learn some big lessons about trusting God. And I feel like God took me and put me in a kind of lonely place where door-to-door work was very tough, in honesty. And uh, it was a place I first laid hands on someone to receive the Spirit. I'd never done that before. I'd received, a lady came to Christ through door-to-door, and I said to her, you know, she said, I'm so scared. I can only talk to you about God. And I talk to my husband sometimes, but I feel I need something more. And I said, oh, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. What's that? So I explained to her because I'd been baptized in the Spirit. And it was very rare in the church in those days. And she said, And I told her, I said, read this little booklet. And then one day I was doing door to door. It was so funny. And it was so hard. And it was so depressing, you know, doors slammed in your face and all around. It was so tough. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go and see Mrs. Payne. I just, for my sake, not for hers, just, to, just get refreshed, go and talk to a Christian. And I turned up feeling so low. And she said to me, oh, good, come in. I said, oh, it's good to be with you. She said, I've been thinking about that being filled with the Spirit. She said, would you pray for me now? And I thought, because <laughs> I feel about the worst Christian that ever walked the earth I've just had a terrible morning and she's saying you know out of the abundance of your life would you lay hands on me I think oh grief so anyway I laid hands on her and prayed for her I mean, went through the scriptures a bit laid hands on her prayed for her and I'm just in her home this lady who's never been to church yet she's been saved a few weeks just in her home and I think oh gosh you know what do I do uh, perhaps I should speak in tongues so that she knows at least what that sounds like. And I'm just sitting, sitting there in silence, you know, and suddenly she starts speaking in tongues and she just goes for it. And I think, oh my word, God, you are here. And I'm low, I'm feeling weak, but you are here and she's full of the Spirit. I mean, I went from that place absolutely flying and so excited. So I learned lots of lessons in what was a pretty tough uh, setting.
0: I uh, noticed early on the week, I think on Twitter, I think Mike Pilevacci said something about how David, before he killed Goliath, he was killing lions and bears as a shepherd and how he had to win victories in private before he won victories in public. And I guess that's part of what this Dad's story illustrates, that for those two years, no one knew what he was doing. No one knew uh, the challenging times. No one knew the, the, the victories but what was happening in Dad's own heart was a growing confidence. God is a God who answers his promises. And I just love that thing, that verse in Titus, the God who cannot lie. So you can look at someone like Dad or some of the people that we've been talking about and think, oh, you know, that's, I wish I could be like that. Well, it's nothing about the people being something remarkable. It's about discovering a God who cannot lie. And uh, I mean, I stood here, sorry, indulge me just for a moment. Don't worry, we'll come back to you in a second. Um, <laughs> on the first day, I'm standing here to tell you guys about things that have helped me. And I'm nervous. Of course I am. I, I, you know, I'm really nervous. And so I'm reading in my little book of, by R.T. Kendall called Believing God, and just reading things to remind me God's perfect integrity means I can trust him. He's never, ever lied. I knew I've prayed about this. I knew God's told me it's going to be all right. And I get peace, because not because of me, I'm, I could easily fall to pieces, but because of his integrity, because he never lies. You have a God who will never, ever lie. That's a really good thing to know. Okay, So you hold on to that. That's what turns people whose normal lives look very normal, and then you start getting exciting stories, and then you look back and think, what has God done? It's because God doesn't lie. Uh, just another story that I think is a lovely one is uh, how we got the home that I grew up in. Would you mind just telling us quickly how that happened? Mm.
1: We moved to Brighton from a small town called Seaford and uh, we, we moved to a house that I actually kind of hated, uh, which was on three stories. It was a terrible place. And, uh, and I, then one day there was a home I saw that I thought would be absolutely fabulous for us, a family home. and it had a park behind it. And I thought that would be great for us. But I, I saw it came on the market. I put in an offer, which they dismissed as being far too low. And we used to Didn't play... they and... literally laugh at it? Oh, I mean, they dismissed it, yeah. It a completely irrelevant offer. And uh, we used to... I used to go with the boys and play football and fool around in that park from time to time because it wasn't far from where we lived. And every time we went to that park, I would kind of stand... And look over this fence into this house (laughs) and say, Lord, give me that house, give me that house. So we went right through that summer praying, give me that house, give me that house. We were turned down in the spring, went right through the summer. And then um, come the autumn, I had a letter from the estate agent saying, Are you still interested in that house? And uh, just to cut it short, uh, they came right down to the price that we offered in the spring. So that was great. We asked for it, and God gave it to us. It been, it was We lived there for thirty years, and where the family was essentially raised yeah
0: so it 's just amazing for me growing up in a home that I knew well, God had kind of given us this house to live in. It was by no you know, we didn 't have any right to own this house, and uh, you know, God has answered prayer. I took one thing that i 'll say um, that I wanted to make sure I communicated. Dad, you know, started these new gatherings of believers and thinking, okay, let's just try and do Christianity like we see in the Bible. We don't have to be formal. Where is this formal stuff in the New Testament? I don't see it. So let's just do what they did in the New Testament. And so these informal, uh, kind of more flexible communities started to get built up. And it wasn't just about losing formality. It was about believing God's promises and obeying what he said, not being held back by some traditions which aren't always helpful. And uh, it was all started to, you know, well, first, God... God was using Dad just in one church, and then he started helping another church, and then another church. There's now around about something like 1,500 churches around the world that would say they belong to New Frontiers. Uh, and that's started right back there. So I've grown up in a home where I've had a father who's carried huge responsibility for leading what's become kind of seen as a global movement of churches. And so you'd think he'd be immensely stressed and strung out, because he's got like crazy amounts of responsibility. And I was reflecting on this recently. I can honestly say, I honestly struggle to remember a time in my life when I've seen dad stressed. Uh, I guess one of the times that I saw him most stressed, um, he ended up going, oh, spit. And uh, I thought that was pretty bad, you know. Was like well, There's going to be some serious repentance needed now. But honestly... Dad has been a delight and a joy to live with. He hasn't been like a man like, oh, I've got to fix the world. I've got all this responsibility. He's looked like a man who's discovered he's struck gold. He's happy. And, uh, and I think some of the daily habits so we were hearing about George Muller uh, that I've observed in dad's life have helped him to keep his soul happy in God, like we were saying yesterday. That He's discovered something of, there's a real God there really loves me. I'm not some like great martyr laying down my life. I am the recipient of phenomenal mercy. And that's been the legacy that I've grown up under, watching a man enjoy God. And it's been like, oh, okay, that's how this works. And that has been a, such a joy for me. I've seen other people in ministry, and they've lived kind of driven, striving lives. They never let themselves rest because they think, oh, people are, you know, it's very, very serious. And Dad's not been like that. He's known God's got this in his hands. I'm trusting him. I'm just doing what he, what he tells me to do. Is there anything you'd like to say at all about how you've, you know, those, those disciplines of grace, if you can put it that way, just the way of enjoying God daily and how that works?
1: Yeah, I think that the, the book that Simon refer, uh, referenced earlier on uh, God's Lavish Grace, uh, I've tried to put in there. For me, uh, kind of discovering the grace of God was a huge deal. And, you know, we, the, the journey in God is, is always full of new and exciting experiences. I still feel I'm, I'm learning. I've been through a, quite a challenging season and, in a sense, still in at the moment in terms of a, a house move. It's been very, very demanding. So I'm still having to learn these and, and live these lessons out. It's not like, oh, got that down. You know, it, you still find challenges, you're still learning new adventures, we're seeing more people healed than I've ever seen in my life. You know, I always, there's always more, <laughs> it's exciting, there's always more to get into. Uh, so, but for me, when I first started, um, I was very influenced by reading books about prayer, for instance, uh, you know, George Mueller, Praying Hyde, Reese Howells, Intercessor, these incredible men of prayer. And I met some people, a man called Arthur Wallace, who wrote a book called God's Chosen Fast. And I was very influenced about prayer. Prayer was a big, big thing for me. Uh, and so I would pray, but then when you finish praying, it's like the devil would say to you, did you pray long enough? And you said, oh God, perhaps I could have prayed longer. And so it began to be you're earning merit by these things you do. Are you praying enough? Are you keeping up with your Bible reading? So things that people come—they sometimes call it the means of grace. That's what they call praying, read the Bible. They're means of grace, but what they become are rules to live by. You have to do them. If you don't do them, God's not happy with you. That is that is that. And even though I'd been filled with the Spirit, I'd lived by faith. I'm now pastoring a church, but it was always this kind of cloud. Have you done enough? Is God really happy with you? Uh, and just—it was like living under a cloud. You know, you'd have the happy days, but there was this always, I could be doing more. I could be doing more. When I used to commute to London, and when I got right with God, a friend of mine, wonderful, wonderful Christian young man, he said to me, last week, I went right through the train, gave out tracks in every compartment as I went out on my way to London. And my first reaction was, oh, that's another thing I've got to do. Everything like this, I've got to do that as well. I've got to do it to keep God happy. And so everything was like another responsibility. And that's how I lived, really. And, uh, and then, and then I, I got to see the grace of God. I began to see Now God has declared you righteous as a gift. You are no longer under law. You're under grace. I have got time to go right through the book. But I would honestly commend it to you. I've had loads of letters. People say it's changed my life. It's been translated into many different languages. I was in Poland recently signing books. It's translated into Polish. And this guy came up to me holding the book. He said, you don't have to sign mine. I bought it three weeks ago. It's written in my heart. I thought, whoa, praise God. And uh, I've honestly, I, it just changed. I just took, just took the burden off. It, was, it says in the Bible, when Jesus was raised from the dead, it says they could not believe for joy. I love that phrase, like, wow, I can't believe the joy, he's alive again. It was like that for me. When I suddenly saw grace, it was so exciting. I, it was like being saved again. It just, it just settled everything. It's like, hey, it's finished. There is no condemnation. It just totally changed everything. It changes your motivation. You're not doing stuff hoping to please God by praying long or hoping to please God by reading another chapter, trying to earn marks, trying, is this okay? That's all gone. It's finished. I know it's okay. I'm hidden in Christ, and he's okay. I'm not trying to impress God. I've found someone who's already impressed him, and I'm hidden in him. And it just takes that burden. It set me free. So that has been a mighty, mighty thing in my life, that I know I don't have to somehow prove myself. Jesus said, it is finished. I've done it. I've done it. So everything comes out from that. It's all free. So I'm often asked by pastors, what would be one verse you'd tell me? You know, is there one verse? And I always say, it says, I think it's in Jude, keep yourself in the love of God. Stay there. Just keep yourself there. So, you know, it goes on saying, keep yourself in the love of God, praying in the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, singing, making melody. So th- that's what you'll find me doing in the mornings. You know, I just, I just go in my room, I shut the door, I start singing. I start praising. Uh, I just, I, I've got a hymn book, I've got, I've got five hymn books on my desk. <laughs> I'm mostly singing the sort of songs we sing here, but I sometimes dig out an old hymn book because uh, they've got terrific truths in them. And I just sing to God. I sing in tongues. I sing to God. I just get happy in God. Every morning I have a temple service. I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. So are you. I have a temple service every morning. I just enjoy God. I enjoy God. Before I start asking for anything, I ask for stuff as well. But I sing and make melody with all my heart. I enjoy His love. Honestly, that's what keeps me. That's what's kept me through some very big challenges. Lots of big challenges over the years. Lots of big faith challenges and so on. But just step out from it and keep yourself in the love of Jesus. Keep enjoying Jesus. Keep celebrating his love for you. The sort of stuff we've been singing here, don't leave it behind when you go home. Every day, find a place where you can be with Jesus. Sing to him. Enjoy him. And your faith starts rising again. Your courage starts rising again. Some of our songs say things like, just one glimpse of your glory. You know, just to be in your presence. Everything else, uh, everything changes when I've seen you. And I know I've been learning, a new, even in these last few weeks, learning serious new lessons about faith. Because sometimes faith is like that. You know, Elijah prayed that the fire would fall. You remember that story? The prophets of Baal, they try and make fire fall, they can't do it. So Elijah says, Lord, let the fire fall. Vroom, there you go, happens. Then he prays that it will start raining again. But he prays and nothing happens. Then he prays again and nothing happens. Then he prays again and nothing happens. Then he prays again and nothing happens. Come on. Then he prays again. Seven times. So this first one, Lord, let it happen. Boom. Sometimes we pray for the sick. It's like that. I've seen, wow, it's happened straight away. That's pretty exciting. Other things you pray for, wow, that's taking time. And I was reading in Hebrews last week, because you feed on the truth. It says, through faith and patience, they inherited the promises. And sometimes faith has to be mixed with patience, because there's delay, doesn't happen overnight. You don't throw away your confidence. You keep faith. These are important things. And sometimes faith gets tested. And there's, there's delays and setbacks and disappointments. And I felt for myself just reading in Hebrews 11, just last week. And it says, you know, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. And I, I love that. You know, wow, these walls. By faith, they fell down. And it said they had to walk round seven times. And I don't believe on day five, Joshua said to them, can you see any cracks yet? I mean, look, I can't see any cracks yet in the wall, the walls. You know, it's day 5 no no he had such a meeting with god that he knew he knew it's okay i've seen the lord the walls are his problem they're his problem on day 7 they shout the walls come down but it's it's that real handing it into god we're really saying no i know it's your it's in your hands now and sometimes that can happen quickly it can happen just suddenly we got the, a building called the clarendon Church in Brighton. We we were meeting in a schoolroom. We started with thirty-eight people. What's called CCK Brighton now. We started with thirty-eight people in a schoolroom in in Hove. Thirty-eight people, and it had thirty-eight adult chairs. If you were number thirty-nine, you had to sit on a plastic box. And people started bringing their deck chairs. That's how we started that church. And then we began to grow, and there was a, a old mission hall. in in town called the Clarendon Mission. And I I knew it could seat like 500. And I knew there was a tiny congregation, about 50 people, maybe less, 25 people there. And I I thought, that's the place for us. That's the place for us. And I was praying one day with uh, Nathan and Lou Fellingham's dad, called David Fellingham, and a guy called Henry Tyler, the three of us were leading this tiny little church at the time and we prayed together and we just knew, suddenly we knew we've got it. And we knew it together. We were praying, I we thought, hey, it's happened. We've got it. This building, I mean it's a huge building really for us. We're just a tiny we've got it. And I thought, how do I what do I do now? I know I know we've got it. In prayer, I know we've got it. And so a few weeks later, maybe a few days later, I had a phone call from the pastor whom I've never met. And he said, I'd like to speak to you. Can I meet you? I said, of course. He came and had a meal with us. And I thought, how do I get to talk about his building? And he, after a few few preliminaries, said, I've heard about your growing congregation. I wondered if you'd be interested in our building. I mean, it just happened like that. Just, and we got the building. I mean, it took us a lot of money to do it up, which was another faith venture. But later, we needed... A bigger place, which is where CCK has met for some years now, a big warehouse in the heart of Brighton. And we had to pray for that for weeks and weeks and weeks. And we had a battle to change it from an industrial property to become a, a meeting place. We are praying lasted weeks and weeks and weeks. We had to keep holding on, holding on, holding on. But as a group, as a church, we prayed through and got the building. So sometimes the thing happens quite quickly, and you know it's happened. Other times it's prayer, faith, and patience. You have to keep hanging in, keep believing God, even though it doesn't seem to happen
0: overnight. Fantastic, eh? So encouraging. I just, I guess we'll close in a moment, but I just wanted to, uh, just to say, we, like I was saying about Dad being uh, someone who's a receiver of grace. That's, that is all of our position and uh, it takes a daily decision to actually say I, I want to take hold of the grace that's available to me and I think that that's probably been one of the things that has most impacted me about dad is what I mentioned earlier on that I've found him with his Bible open or on his knees in prayer or I've just heard him singing uh, more times than I can remember and it is just getting to know God. Uh, and being honest with him. I was just talking to someone yesterday who was saying, I've got this big question in my mind about, about God and about this. And I said, okay, well, you need to just tell God what you've just told me. Just talk to him honestly and, uh, and trust that he will begin to answer you. You know, keeping rules is no fun. But getting to know the God who made the sky and the moon and the stars and colors and smells and laughter and music. Getting to know God is very fun. It's extraordinary. And that's what's available to us. So I hope you found this helpful. Uh, I found it helpful myself to be able to hear some of the things that Dad shared with us. And, uh, you know, hang in there, keep praying and keep looking to God. But ultimately, it's that's recognize, as it says in Romans 5, verse 17, it says, we reign in life, we win, not through our great efforts, we win through the abundance of His grace and the free gift of His righteousness. There's more than enough grace for everything we face every day and he's made us clean by the blood of Jesus. And that's how we win because our God is that good, not because we're that hardworking. There's so much grace available, let's be sure to take hold of it. And there's daily righteousness from Jesus that we live under. It's wonderful to know. Let me just pray for you and I think we'll call it a day there. And if you wanted to add anything else particularly? Father, In fact, Father, why don't you pray for (laughs) us?
1: Father, thank you so much for this camp. Thank you for the thousands of believers here. Thank you for winning people's hearts, even this morning, people, and last evening. Lord, that you are here with us, that you're winning people, healing people, making yourself known to people. Thank, Thank you, Father, for incredible kindness you keep pouring out upon us and father we just pray right now that what we've heard in this session uh won't be just mildly interesting but might sow seeds in our lives that will do us lasting good that we might trust you joyfully abandon ourselves to you find you to be utterly worthy of a whole life lord just lived for you with you Lord God, just keep winning our hearts, keep winning our hearts for your glory. Keep showing yourself to us, Lord. We might get to know you, be more and more fascinated with the knowledge of God. Lord, bless, I pray, every young man and woman in this shed right now. Go with us as we go from New Day. Let your presence accompany us. Let us be strengthened by being here in a lasting, measurable way for your great glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.